0: This is the Mark Aram Show, heard Monday through Friday, 10 to midnight on News 95, 5 and AM 750 WSB. We were off last night, well I was off last night because of the debate coverage here on WSB. Uh, the other bananas had to work. I missed you guys, but I got a lot of sleep. Too much sleep, in fact. <laughs> yeah, not us. Yeah. I slept from noon to 6 p.m., woke yeah. up, had dinner with my wife, went to bed again 9 p.m. till 3 a.m. So basically just Shush. slept the day away. Uh, I wish I had that much sleep yesterday. Yes. Yeah, you only got about today. two, three hours in you, Longoria. Yeah, yeah. I got three hours. I had to wake up. But I heard the guy filling in for me was fantastic. So at oh, least, you guys, was, a, yeah, at least you guys had a great in. It was in. uh yeah. Well, yes. uh, it wasn't a boring night. Competition. I guess. Well listen, this is uh this is if <laughs> if this is your first time listening to the Mark Aram show, consider yourself lucky. Uh the, the Mark no Aram show on WSB has been on these airwaves uh, for 15 years now, as a daily version, almost two years. And uh, through those 15 years, I've interviewed uh, athletes, actors, comedians, politicians, uh, you name it, heads of state, legends in in many different industries. Uh, The guest tonight on the show is the greatest guest we've ever had. We've gotten more response from this guest than anyone else, and uh, I I thought it was appropriate. Just by chance. Yeah, by a chance, wasn't here. about a year ago, this gentleman called in on the show, and uh, basically, we let him take over the show because the story he was telling was amazing. So, on this Veterans Day, um, I'm very happy and honored to welcome back to the Mark Aram Show, World War II veteran, former prisoner of war, and a native of Eatonton, Georgia. He is an author as well. He is Frederick Sheer. Fred, thank you again for joining us on the Mark Aram Show. How are you, sir?
1: Wow. (laughs) I got to go buy another hat. My head just got so big.
0: I'll tell you what, Fred, of all the guests we've ever had, we've had the most feedback from your appearance last year. And Uh, I just thought it would be awesome if we can get you back again on on this Veterans Day.
1: I am delighted. I'm honored.
0: Well, Fred called in last year and uh, started to describe uh, his experience in World War II as a private and it turned out he wrote a book and he sent fred sent me a copy of the book last year it's fantastic it's called the european sojourn it's available on amazon or anywhere you want to go online just google uh european sojourn and uh, you can check out fred's book it's an amazing tale and i was hoping if you could give us the audio version or at least a portion of it tonight on the show for folks that didn't hear it last year fred well can
1: we can we boil it down to maybe my To those that don't know, uh, I was captured by the Germans on July the 27th of 1944. I was oh, about, what, 17 days after landing in France. It was about a month after the invasion. And cycle forward to nine months later out of captivity. And can I tell you the story of how I escaped?
0: You could let's let's absolutely let me give it. Let's give the folks a little bit of a background, though. Okay. Okay. So uh, you are uh, 1942. Was, you're a freshman at the University of Georgia.
1: I at in in 1942, I was a first quarter freshman at the University of Georgia, and Mark, you just can't believe the way that this country was. Everybody knew we all knew we had to do something to stop that megalomaniac killer. Uh, You know, we just had to, and it wasn't a question. I volunteered. Many millions of other guys did. We just dropped everything and said, look, we got to go and do the job. And that's what we did.
0: So as a freshman at the University of Georgia in 1942, you enlisted in the Reserves of the U.S. Army, and you're called to active duty.
1: April 6th, 1943, active duty, sent to Fort Mac here in Atlanta. Weeks there spent uh, then have basic training, traveled across the country to you know toward the port of embarkation at uh, New York. Went across on the uh, Empress of Australia, which I think had been a uh, German cruise liner. But when I, when I went across the, the five days crossing, uh, there was. There were so many GIs on board that they had bunks and hammocks down below, and every hammock and every bunk had to be occupied by... Three different guys in row that
0: is of course. So let me let me jump in for a second Fred so you, you have a five-day journey across the Atlantic in a former German cruise liner with with thousands of other GIs what's the right. what's the mood on the ship as, as you're crossing the Atlantic were you were you a confident bunch of young soldiers knowing that we were gonna go over there and take care of business?
1: Of course I mean you know that was you, you got to think back for a moment uh, my wife tells me that she, as a child, or she was young, and her mother rolled bandages. Other people collected, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, silver paper. Other people did. It all, everybody was into it. This, the country was the most adhesive that period of time than it has ever been before or since. Everybody was into it. But going over... Uh, the ship was so full of guys. I found a place on deck. It was. We left in late October, landed in uh, landed in Liverpool, and uh, uh, you know about the fifth of uh, November. And I stayed on deck the whole time it, because of the what do you call it the uh,
0: uh,
1: Gulf Stream.
0: Mm-hmm. It was
1: relatively warm and. Uh, I didn't go below to sleep in one of the, on the companionway on the decks. I mean, in the bunks.
0: See, so you, you spent the, 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 one. The, the, the whole trip on deck. Started. All right, so you land in Liverpool, uh, the first time. I'm assuming on on foreign soil. Had you had you ever left the state of Georgia prior to that?
1: I'd been to the New York. My family had driven up, everybody in one car, up to the World's Fair in 1939. But that was the only other time. So, and, but. I'd never been, never been overseas, never been, never been on the water except in some Tybee Beach. So, uh, uh, so from the, from
0: the shores of Tybee Island to the shores of Liverpool there those you are. young Private Frederick Shear, born in Eatonton, uh, in the Army, active. Uh, this is November of nineteen forty-three. At what? At this point in the war. Um, Hitler had pretty had advanced pretty far west toward uh, into Europe. Oh,
1: yeah, he? yeah, yeah. In fact, he he had uh, you know he had all of basically all of all of Western Europe, uh, including France, Belgium, and the, the rest. And what we were doing at that point was building up for pre- preparatory to uh, an invasion. Now, uh, some Yanks had already gone to uh, North Africa, but uh, we were, you know, coming, they were building up in, in England and Ireland. In fact, I left, uh, Feezy, left uh, what do you call it, Liverpool, went to Peasy Farms, which was a transit place for about two days, and I found out what London fog was, not the kind you wear, but you hold your <laughs> hand out, you hold your arm straight out, and you couldn't see your hand. But anyway, any rate, from there I went to northern ireland to it down northern ireland you know northern ireland was divided between southern ireland as the irish Free state and the six counties at the north were part of the uk correct and they were they were being used like the rest of england and uh, was used to stockpile men and materials and so forth so i spent nine months there and uh well, it was kind of fortunate. I don't think my wife is listening right now, but I did find a little bit of a romantic. Uh, well, it was nice. <laughs> I had the time away.
0: Understood.
1: It, uh, beautiful Irish Colleen. But uh, any rate, I we landed the fifth. I joined the Fifth Infantry Division, Second Company B of the Second Regiment of the Fifth Infantry Division, and and I was a private. I stayed the private the whole time. By the way, anyway, uh, we landed in France on uh, no, on Utah Beach on July the 10th of 44. Now, that was about a month after the invasion. We were trucked in to, uh, to uh, uh, the forward area. It was in a French farm yard and whatnot. I can tell you some funny stories about that,
0: but I won't take the time right now. If want me <laughs> L- to. Let me ask you a question. So you're, you're in Europe. There's there's two battle fronts here. Uh, there's there's the European battlefield, the Western Front, and the Pacific. Um, did you know when you were in basic training where you were going to be going? When did you find out you'd be going to Europe and not Japan? <laughs>
1: when I got on the ship,
0: <laughs> that, that was it. They said, "All right, get on the ship. This ship's going to Europe. The other one's going to Japan."
1: You know, it's a funny thing. I'm, I don't know that I've ever heard this from anybody else, but uh, we were lined up getting ready to go to the game plank, to go up the gang plank, and you had to go by this one office, and individual every one guy, by himself knocked on the door and, and an office and a loud uh, voice inside says, "Come in," And went in, there was a, a doctor sitting behind a medical doctor sitting behind the desk. And you walked in, you saluted, and he says, "Son, you want to go fight?" And I says, "Yes, sir." He says, "Okay, go get on a ship." And that was it. <laughs> Could you believe that?
0: That that is amazing. I, I was. I wonder what the process was like to determine who was going to the Pacific and who was going to Europe. And
1: well, not, well I don't know how that worked out. Now I was at Georgia. I was taking ROT uh, Calvary ROTC. Mm-hmm. And they sent myself and a bunch of the guys at that to Fort Riley, Kansas, which is was a old uh, what you call it uh cavalry post. But we were there for infantry basic training, and that, I guess they knew where they wanted us to go. That's that's all I know.
0: Were Were you happy? No. Were you happy you're going to Europe instead of uh, Asia?
1: I didn't even
0: know anything about (laughs) it. No nice uh, Irish Colleens in the Pacific. (laughs) There there you go. Uh, All right, we're talking to a Frederick Scheer, um, who is uh, the author of the book, A European Sojourn. He is from Georgia, went to the University of Georgia, served in World War II, found himself in a prisoner of war camp, and escaped. When we come back, Frederick's going to start telling us the story of his capture and his escape. It's one of the greatest things you will ever hear. On the radio. We're going to come right back again on this Veterans Day. We salute our proud veteran, listener of the Mark Aram Show, and author Fred Shear. We'll be right back. This is the Mark Aram Show on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Mark Aram on 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It is July of 1944. A young private named Frederick Scheer from uh, Georgia lands on Utah Beach in France. It is World War II. How do you get from uh, France to Germany, uh, young private Frederick?
1: (laughs) Okay, Mark. Actually, we landed on Utah Beach on the 10th of July. Now, at that time, that was about a month after the main invasion, and so about that by then, the fighting was in about 20 miles inland to near a town called Saint-Lô, a city of Saint-Lô, France. And, uh, so we, oh, I got to tell you, <laughs> uh, something we didn't train for. They didn't train us how to go over the side of the ship with full field packs, rifle. In my case, I had some, uh, bag of rifle grenades and you went down a rope ladder was spread along the side of the ship like a big fishing net down into a landing craft that was bobbing up and down and the ship was leaning back and forth. Nobody got in the water, so we we won. Fortunately, with the fighting in land like that, the landing craft went all the way to the beach and dropped the bench. So, we, you know, we got went in on dry land that way. Excellent. They, were, they trucked us into a place right behind the front lines in a French farmyard where we had foxholes. In fact, the 2nd Infantry Division had been there, and we relieved them, and so we didn't have to dig foxholes. They were already there, and we were kind of in outpost position, waiting Could, for to move forward.
0: Could the soldiers that were already there look at you and tell that you were a, a newbie, that you, you this is your first time... Um, and did they have a, an air of superiority, perhaps, over you?
1: You know, I don't remember that. I really don't. I don't know that I even saw those guys. Uh, you know, maybe the people that were ahead of me and, were in their, or the units were in there ahead of me, but I never did see those guys at all.
0: So you're there, wide-eyed, bright-eyed, you just get off the ship, July 10th, 1944, you are in France, first time you've been uh, outside the United States of America. The foxholes are dug. In, uh, in less than a minute, uh, what's your your first reaction to seeing European soil for the first time?
1: Gosh. <laughs> That's it. Gosh. <laughs> That's right.
0: Was was the landscape worn, torn? I mean, could you tell that battles had been fought there and, well, and lives had been lost?
1: Well, there was, there was, you know, there was no people around where we were. Uh, we were in a farmyard, and so but there were dead cows and dead horses, and they what didn't smell very good. But you know, that's they were there, and we didn't bother them. They didn't bother us. But there was a lot of chickens wandering around, and we found out if we could, careful, we could find hen eggs, and we loved hot. Old hard boiled eggs, cause and you could take your, your what do you call it, your steel helmet when there the wasn't problems around
0: and boil them and up.
1: Build a five hundred and boil those eggs, and man, you'd see, you'd see
0: two guys. From one, from, from eating them. boiled eggs to being captured by the Germans and how he escapes a POW camp. When we come back from Newsweather and traffic, Private Frederick Scheer will share that amazing journey. Stay right with us. This is the Mark Aram Show on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. WSB. I'm WSB. WSB's Herman Kane and depend on this. Whenever and wherever. That's breaking news. Severe weather alerts. Or a traffic red alert. The WSB 24-hour breaking news center will tell you about it. News 95.5 and AM 750. WSB, depend on it. Yo, this is Jamie Foxx and you're listening to my man, Mark Aram. America all the home
1: of the red, the white, and
0: the blue. Welcome back to the Veterans Day edition of the Mark Aram Show. As always, we thank our veterans for serving and that those who continue to serve. On this Veterans Day edition of the Mark Aram Show, we welcome back the greatest guest we've ever had in the 15 years of the program. He is Fred Sheer. He is a veteran of World War II, an author, and a former prisoner of war. When we last left before news, weather, and traffic, he was in France. And sometime after this, after you're cooking boiled eggs in your head, in your hat, you get captured uh, by the German army. How did you get captured as a young private in the uh, summer of
1: 1944? Mark Ray, our- position where our foxholes were along a line and the line was a static line, a battle line that had stalled because they were trying to take the city of St. Lowe and the Americans went in and the Germans threw them out and they went in about the third time they took it so on July the 27th the line began to move forward. We would begin to take more ground uh, our outfit moved up on the line. You understand this was hedgerow country. This, I, I guess you and your listeners know what hedgerows are and I won't try to explain them now but anyway, rate, they divided up the country into large areas so like large farm acreage. But at any rate uh, as we were there and we started to move forward and I'll never forget we were behind one tall hedgerow and all of a sudden, these guys started coming over the top of it. They were running as best they could and hollering, take cover, take cover. The Germans had zeroed in on us with 88s, and 88-millimeter shells, were, they were murderous. They really were tough. At any rate, it, just about that time, down on the far end of the same hedgerow, a couple of them uh, hit the hedgerow and just about knocked the end of it out. And unfortunately, our company captain happened to be too close to where that happened and he just got eaten up with shrapnel and uh... the company all the exact took over you know command immediately and uh... he said they, they got four guys together there was uh... the medic was working on the captain and had him on a stretcher and, and the company exact grabbed, you know you 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 and you and i was one of the yous grab this stretcher and take it back to the aid station well just about that time, the uh, medic says, oh, God, he's gone. And with that, you know, uh, they said something that probably never happened much after that, but they said somebody give him something to cover his face, and I gave him my shirt. <laughs> and we carried him back to the aid station, and uh, I, incidentally, I saw he had a forty five pistol hanging off of his belt, and I figured he didn't need it anymore, and I always wanted one. So i put it in my pocket by the time i got back to where the unit was that thing was heavy i, I gave it away <laughs>
0: so, well you never can not have too many guns in a war i would imagine
1: well my my m1 which was as the guys okay you, is your best friend that was the thing i had and that's i can remember the number seventeen, eleven, eighty-one, eighty-two. 82 i think was a rifle number on it but anyway, rate just about the time we got back i I'll make this as quickly as I can, but just as about the time as we got back, uh, they were grab the uh, company exact grabbed our squad for ammunition detail, and they sent us back with a with a buck sergeant to go back and load up with bundles of ammunition. Well, he had been given a map where was to come back and meet the unit at a different location behind a different hedgerow. And we went in, loaded up, and we worked our way back up, and we got to the point behind this forward hedgerow where uh, we were supposed to meet the rest of the unit, and there was nobody there. We were there by ourselves. And the sergeant was looking at his map to see if he would made a mistake, and no, he hadn't. And just about that time, the Germans started dropping mortar shells behind us, so we couldn't go back. And you did the normal thing. I mean, it was wide open to your left, the hedgerows on your right, and so you ran toward the other end of the hedgerow. And just before we got there, the Germans started dropping mortar shells up there. So what do you do? You turned around. Well, at any rate, on the second time up, just before we got up to the, of the end of the hedgerow, uh, the Germans did not drop mortar shells, but instead there was a guy sitting up on a bank in front with an automatic weapon, with his finger on the trigger, looking down at us and saying, hands up, my boys, hands up. And, you know, Mark, that may have been the only English he knew, but that was enough.
0: So he said it in English, hands up, my boys, hands up. Hands
1: up, my boys, hands up. And, man, (laughs) you know, all he had to do was twitch his finger and the whole 14 or 15 of whatever it was I was would have been gone right then. Bam.
0: So are these, are these 14 privates and, and one sergeant? Who, who's in this group that, that you're with? That's
1: right. That we, we, were the, we were the group that had gone back for ammunition to bring up to, to where we were, where we were supposed to meet the whole unit. And there wasn't anybody there. But you understand that on one side of the hedgerow, on our side, it was just wide open ground mm-hmm. all the way back. And on the other side there was wide open ground and then the whole German army.
0: <laughs> now are you are you east or west? I see a river going through Saint Lowe. L, the Levere, L- I L A V I R E. Are you are you past that river or are you before that river?
1: We're before the river. Okay. Before the river. Okay. So any anyway, rate, so uh you know, I dropped my rifle like everybody else did. What are you going to do? At any rate, I looked down and I decided, you know, maybe that's too close. Would you believe I reached down and picked it up and tossed it away? I bet you that guy was like Clint Eastwood. I bet he saying, make my day.
0: He he sees you reaching for your rifle on the ground, and <laughs> you just wanted to rate, throw it farther away from you.
1: At any rate, they, they made us take our helmets off, hands on top of our head, and they hauled us back I, Mark, there's a lot more I can tell you about this area, but in essence of time, I'm going to cycle forward nine months. L- l- Let
0: me just ask you one quick question. So, so you're captured by, are these uh, standard German troops? Are these uh, SS? They, they, they,
1: these were paratroopers that didn't have an airplane.
0: So you they know? were flightless German paratroopers.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, the, in fact, i got to tell, tell you this real quickly. That the next day, we were waiting after to be on the road marching toward, uh, you know, inland. And uh, we were standing around, and, you know, all these, I was, my birthday was July the 15th, and this was like July the 28th, so uh, I was just 20 years old. And these, these German soldiers were the same age. We were all about the same age, and we were standing around waiting to go on the road and for, where they were going to collect other prisoners. And uh, one German came over and showed me a picture of him and his old outfit kneeling down in front of an airplane. And he was, wasn't doing it for any, any menacing. He was just, you know, he was proud of his flight crew. Mm-hmm. And another one showed me his switchblade. Well, he wasn't trying to scare me. He was just proud of that knife. Interesting. Uh, again... You gotta remember that uh, we would you know, they would like to know a little bit more English and I guess I don't know if we really wanted more know any more German, but any anyway, rate, uh again, just for a few minutes there, it was just young kids all non combatants right at that moment.
0: Are yeah. you in are you in handcuffs at this point? Oh no, the... no, 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 nothing like that.
1: They, they didn't they didn't use handcuffs. That was maybe the Gestapo did, mm-hmm. but uh, and by the way, You know, I'm Jewish, but I didn't tell them so.
0: I would hope not. (laughs) I would hope not. There's
1: other stories about that too, but I won't go into that right now.
0: There's lots of
1: other details along the way.
0: Well, we'll get to those. So you're captured now, and they're marching you toward other prisoners with the eventual um, ending point of where?
1: What they're doing, we we were, were moving toward Reims, France, and we got there by marching, by trucks. I tell you, we got to a small town that was kind of like maybe even in my hometown, where there was a you know a, a courthouse or something in the center and the square and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And they had all of, I had this whole they'd collected a whole bunch of prisoners by then, and they were all standing on one side of the street waiting for trucks. And across the street were a bunch of French folks. And just looking, and nobody was saying anything to anybody. But every once in a while, one of the French people would run across the street, hand something to a PO, field, field dug in, and run back. And the Germans may holler at him, but they didn't. They didn't try to stop him. They knew what was going on, and what the French were doing. They were bringing over a hen egg,
0: trying to give you or, some food, or, or a
1: little, or a little bit of cognac mm-hmm. to give to the prisoners. And I couldn't do it, but the way the guys were doing. It, They'd punch a hole in either end of the egg and suck it out.
0: <laughs> Just a raw egg. A raw egg. Forget it. At
1: any rate, they took us to Reims, and Reims had put us on, on rails. Uh, you may have heard of the old 40 and 8s. That was from World War One. the trains that they were uh, freight cars that were designed for 40 men or eight horses in World War One, And that's what they put us on. And we went from there to a uh, oh, somewhere, uh, I think it was Muhlberg, Germany, I think maybe was the name of it, mm-hmm. somewhere in northern Germany, was a transit camp. And we were there. I say we, because when you you went out with different people than you came in, somehow or another they worked it out. But at any rate, I was there for maybe three or four or five days at the most. And from there, went overnight to another transit camp at Mooseburg, and this was a big transit camp, and it was one that uh, I was there for probably two weeks. And I must tell you that both camps, mm-hmm. Mark, were divided in with uh, barbed wire, barbed wire, and and other kind of fencing. And on one side were Americans and Brits and Australians and New Zealanders, you know. And on the other side were Russians.
0: Really? And Why they, did they separate the the two?
1: Oh well, I tell you, to start with, uh, I guess the the Germans had signed the Geneva Convention, mm-hmm. which they abided by to a small degree. The Russians had not, and neither had the Japanese. By the way. Okay. And and they treated the Russians like dirt. They really did. Wow. They really did. At any rate. Uh, might uh, if, if, you if you've ever watched Hogan's Heroes, sure. you, you might remember that uh, one day, one night, actually, four guys came up to where I was in the camp, in my bunk or whatever, and, uh, they, said, and they were POWs, they were prisoners. And they said they were camp administrators, and I'm sure the Germans were happy to have this set up this way because it helped to keep organized better, I guess. And these guys uh, came and they gave us some postcards that we could write. They mostly just check check off and say I'm I'm in good shape, or whatnot, and put your family name on them and address and whatnot. And that was mailed back, you know, through the through uh, Switzerland, I guess, the Red Cross back home. And that's the way my folks, well, they had gotten a notice from a telegram. I got pictures of my book uh, telegram saying I was captured, but
0: so who who sent the the U.S. Army sent your folks a telegram saying, "Hey, your son has been captured, but he's still alive." Well, it,
1: it, at first, no. At first, they got a tele, they got a telegram saying that he was missing.
0: Oh boy! Action. Oh boy!
1: And uh, then later they got they got one saying that I was uh, prisoner of the German government or, government or something. I don't remember exact words.
0: What what? Let me let me interrupt you right real quick, Fred. When we come back, uh, okay. Fred Shear is going to be in a German prison camp. He has been captured. This is uh, the middle of World War II. He is an uh, Eatenden, Georgia native, 20 years old, and now in the custody of the German army. How he escapes and what the camp is like when we come right back. He is Frederick Shear. I tweeted out a link. If you want to purchase his book, I highly recommend you do. It's on Amazon. Check out my Twitter, at Mark Aram. Veterans Day Edition with a very special guest. This is the Mark Aram Show on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Mark Aram on 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. We are joined on this Veterans Day by World War II veteran, former prisoner of war, Georgia native, Frederick Scheer. A private in uh, the summer of 1944, captured by the Germans in France, he is now in a German prison camp. Where do you wind up? Where's the camp that you finally wind up and spend the most time at, Fred?
1: In Adolf, Germany, about there was on the rail line between Plauen, Germany and and Ega, Czechoslovakia, about six kilometers west of the German Czech border.
0: And how big a camp is this? How many prisoners? How many soldiers? How? Can,
1: can, can, can I slip back and take a couple of steps forward and, and get to that?
0: Sure, absolutely.
1: Okay. We, at, from this camp I was just telling you about, uh, late one afternoon, 80 of us were called out and lined up in front of a platform. And a German officer stood on the platform and says, Okay, you're going to, and whatever, whatever, but at any rate, he says you're going to a work camp and it's against the German federal law for anybody of a Jewish faith to work in Germany. So anybody that's Jewish, step out of line, you'll be replaced. And some guys did, and they called out some names like Goldberg and Goldsmith and whatnot. And those guys were, quote, replaced. I found out later, Mark, I didn't know it then, but I kept my mouth shut, I I stayed with the crowd, but I found we found out later, or since we've been back here, that the Germans had a special camp for Jewish prisoners of war. It didn't matter if they were American or not. And they worked them to death.
0: We'll continue this amazing story of World War II. Stick around. This is the Mark Aram Show.